0: The Start on Demand. demand. Good morning. It is The Start on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you. Brett McGarry returns on Monday. Loren, typically on Friday, we like to have, well, a lot of fun if we can. And we're going to do this as best as we can today because lots of Canadians, lots of Manitobans, many Winnipeggers with heavy hearts this morning.
1: There are so many connections to this story out of Saskatchewan. First of all, the residential school that used to be near Cowessess, First Nation, had many Manitoba kids go there. It was mostly Saskatchewan and Manitoba students. And so we know there are people with deep family, personal connections to that school and and feeling pain and sadness this morning as we talk about up to 751 unmarked graves discovered there and and what, what more is to come out of there. For me, I've uh, really just struggled to find the right thoughts and words for this because I think we knew this was coming in the sense of after Kamloops, we know that communities were going to go start looking to see what what was in the backyards of those schools and the old school grounds. And and we knew there was going to be more discoveries. But the thing that I just struggle with most, Greg, this morning is what do we do with this information? I mean, I don't, I don't, want the phrase move on I mean move forward what do we do to move forward with this and just do better there are questions about justice about further investigations who will look into how and what and where and why all this happened why were the graves unmarked where did those markers potentially go if they were marked at some time at some point in time that was a question yesterday that they might have been marked graves potentially at some point in the 60s and then then what happened was there efforts to to make that information disappear where's the records and and these children I just keep thinking they're kids and you know as I send my kids off to school today knowing they're going to be home six and a half hours later I just can't imagine as we revisit an entire system whose policy was potentially to take the kids away for weeks months years or maybe to never return I can't put into words what what the hell were we thinking?
0: Well, it's going to be a difficult show, and I promise you, we will will do our best to to balance the the serious and and the absolutely necessary conversation we will have this morning with with some fun. So forgive us if that feels clumsy at any point in time. This morning, that's not our intention. We know that uh, you tune into this program to get a little bit of a break from from the hard and fast news, but you also count on us to bring it to you. So we are going to do our best to live up to the, both of those expectations. And, Lorraine, yesterday uh, I moderated an online event on behalf of St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, and every time we do that, we do a, a, a treaty acknowledgment and I had a very difficult time getting through that acknowledgement yesterday with, with what had been announced uh, to Canada to the really to the entire world yesterday. The, the number—I don't know why—the bigger number than Kamloops is uh, overwhelming or makes it. I'm not going to say even more impactful. It just—it's a devastating uh, number, no matter what it is. But there just it was just a heavy day yesterday, and that announcement yesterday, that revelation, uh, just was with me uh, most of the day yesterday. No matter how hard I tried to to uh, turn my attention to something else, and and I think that's important that we find a way to answer the questions we have for ourselves, that inner turmoil. Uh, eventually i think we will be he- healthy for us as a as a nation as a, a people as a community so hopefully we can we can help ask and answer some very difficult questions mm-hmm. but but maybe some revelations or, or some ways to get to where we all want to get as we make our way through the day and the, the weeks ahead
1: i i don't think there's anything wrong with feeling deeply uncomfortable not just sad and disturbed and and full full of questions maybe anger that pain that might exist for so many. I but I think we need to be uncomfortable and sit with that uncomfortableness for quite some time because that's only it's only when you feel uncomfortable that you push yourself to answer the hard questions, to ask the hard questions that maybe you can find a way forward and through this. And so 737, we're going to visit with Joe Scarpelli. Global's Joe Scarpelli has traveled to Saskatchewan to cover that story there. And so we're gonna hear the latest from him on the ground at 737. Uh, just after eight, we're gonna to talk to a human rights lawyer here in Winnipeg who has posed some pretty deep questions about what would justice look like out of here? How do you get that? And he's also putting out a plea to politicians to stop you know, with the thoughts and prayers and start with some action. And how do you fix, how do you help heal? We're going to hear from the First Nation chief in Saskatchewan who says Canada needs to stand by them and all First Nations communities right now. And so what does that look like? And at Greg at 837, we'll talk with Wab Canoe. We want to talk about this discovery, but also there's this idea out there right now and it's taking hold in many communities that we need to change the way we celebrate Canada Day next week.
0: Yeah the question was posed to Premier Brian Pallister yesterday we'll give Wab Canoe the opportunity as official opposition leader to to voice his opinion but I also wanted to make it clear at some point this morning Wab Canoe is someone that I spoke with on a regular basis on other programs uh, throughout the years on indigenous issues we had some very serious very humorous lighthearted but also very honest discussions about the relationship between indigenous and non-indigenous Canadians and that's why I think Wab's voice is important on this story, not because of his political standing or who he is politically in our province, but as an Indigenous Manitoban and a, as a leader in that community. <music> Lots of olé, 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 olé in La Belle-Provence. Mike Armstrong, Global National, joining us now. Mike, have you been to bed yet?
2: Oh, it is- <laughs> I stayed up so late sitting in my backyard watching all the press conferences. So I did not get much sleep, no.
0: Well, congratulations. I know this isn't your achievement, but... (laughs) <laughs> this is something very special for Montreal Canadiens fans. Uh, fans of this team live right across the country, but um, celebrate unlike any other fans in Canada at times. Uh, what's the mood in Montreal? Uh, we know the, the police had to, to get involved a little bit late last night, early this morning.
2: Yeah, well, it's a cloudy day. Might rain, had had a few sprinkles so far. Gas is $1.39. A couple of car, cup cars were flipped last night. But I would say, you know, in a way, that's embarrassing. That's just one of those things we seem to do. Um, it's almost the cost of doing business in this city if you're going to have a successful playoff run. It's unfortunate. So but it's all smiles today.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's the downside of these sorts of things. And, and unfortunately, as you say, in some ways, you know, they're gonna, it, it's just going to happen. It's sort of just you, you predict it every single time. But here we are, Mike. I mean, you talked earlier with us this week about the fact that you grew up watching the heydays in many respects for the Canadians. But you have two boys who are in their late teens, uh, early 20s, who this is generational for them. They've never seen this moment because it's been since 1993. So that's just a huge divide, but also um, a real resurgence, I would think, for people like yourself and your family.
2: Yeah. In Quebec, you can go to bars when you're 18. And my son turned 18 in curfew when Quebec was under curfew. And then he turned 19 when he was under curfew. So basically the first time he ever went to a bar was last night. And he was Boy. downtown watching the hockey game with friends. Uh, it's too bad it didn't happen last year. Um, so there I was, though, as a father watching my son downtown for the first time when I went and watching all the police reports coming out. and every, all the, He actually went with a bunch of friends from his hockey team uh, when they were kids. They're still buddies. And I ran into some of the dads or one of the dads that, um at a convenience store before and we all had that conversation with our kids if you see someone you know breaking a window you don't take part you don't take pictures you get out of there because anyway uh it we're really happy they're making memories it's one of those things you hope um, grabs the kid and makes him a lifelong fan. That's certainly what happened to me, watching just uh, great teams back in the 80s and the 70s.
0: We could spend a half an hour talking about the hockey aspect of this and how the Canadians <laughs> have done what they've done in, in the most unusual fashion. I, I think we've seen maybe in in decades in, in any sport, let alone the National Hockey League. But I have to ask you, Mark Bergevin, uh, you mentioned it. He was maybe hours away from losing his job as general manager of <laughs> the the Montreal Canadiens. You see him on the bench down, uh, hugging uh, Carey Price, kissing him on the head yesterday. Uh, maybe one of the biggest gambles he has made as general manager, and he's made quite a few, Mike, I think you'd agree, as general manager of the Canadians, was signing Carey Price to that gigantic long-term contract, and here it is paying off.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a really weird combination in a way. Like We have a defenseman that's played, I think, two games in the playoffs, Romanoff. And he played all of the regular season, but in the playoffs it's different. So they went with, you know, they've got these big four guys up front and a couple other guys that they sort of bring in. And the guys that they bring in, Merrill and Gustafson, they don't make mistakes, so they're perfect. Those are the, you know, you want to roll those guys out once in a while. So they've got a very capable uh, sixth or seventh defenseman sitting on the bench. Um, it's it's just unbelievable. You know, they, they had this team all season. He kept saying it was built for the playoffs and we certainly seem to be seeing that. Then you throw in uh, Cole Caulfield who's been just a, oh boy, I mean, he's met all the, the hopes. Not the expectations because, you know, the expectations were probably too high but he's met the hopes. Uh, like, that's how fantastic he's been. You can't not smile. And then the other guys like Suzuki and how well he's playing. Like, just an absolute leader Uh, His father, by the way, tweeted out last night that when his sons were young, he took them to the Hockey Hall of Fame and he didn't let them touch the Stanley Cup. So we've got that going Mm -hmm. for us.
1: Mike, we have no time left but 10 seconds. How do you celebrate harder than you did last night? What's next for your city? Do you imagine um, massive parties planned in the weeks ahead now that you guys are emerging out of that third wave?
2: Well, first things first, it's our responsibility to uh, scout the game tonight and figure out who our... (laughs) who our opponents will be in the, in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting stuff.
0: I love the hour. I really do. I give people a hard time about it all the time. Mike, uh, you're totally allowed to use it uh, at least for the next couple of weeks. Thanks for this. We'll keep in touch, all right, friend?
2: Sounds great. Thanks a lot.
0: Mike Armstrong joining us from Montreal. Cameron Poitras, Jeff Braun, Jeffrey Forche, Loren McNabb, yours truly, Greg Mackling. It is the start and our having coffee talking segment, uh, gathering to get together and talk about something fun, typically. And uh, this morning, we want to talk about late night comedy, those late night talk shows, the ones that so many of us uh, have gone to bed with maybe not as much as we used to loren uh, johnny carson i think he used to garner anywhere from 15 to 20 million viewers uh depending on the night of the week uh, it was sort of a staple and the late night shows have become a little bit niche but nonetheless a big part of our culture
1: Oh, and I think for so many years they were appointment viewing and it's changed a lot over the years and, and there's still that format, right? Where they're at the desk with that mic and they've got their sidekick and their band and that kind of thing. But there's also been some really cool things done. I think when you look at hosts like Stephen Colbert taking things a bit more seriously with some of their interviews, um, maybe Trevor Noah, he's excellent. I think he's so much fun. Jon Stewart was fantastic uh, in his earlier days uh, and his late days. And so there's just, I think there's a lot of talent out there I have to admit, half of what I see now uh, is from the following day where you might hear a clip or go back to look at a segment or what have you because I'm too tired to stay up these days. yeah, but that's, I
0: that's going but, on in the middle of the night, basically yeah, for you and I no, and no, for but, all
1: of us here on this program for sure. but yeah, let's take let's take a temperature of the room to see if we have some favorites or or maybe not favorites as I hear it might be the case for one.
0: Jeff Braun, go ahead, my friend. Yeah, I used to, for me, David Letterman was appointment viewing. But, of course, because of our schedule, I would watch him
3: while I was eating lunch the next day, every day kind of thing. But uh, Conan was always number two with me, and he wrapped up his show last night. And I, I found, I dug up this old clip, one of my favorites. It's from when, about 20 years ago, when he went apple picking with Mr. T.
4: let well play this. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna play it. Anyway, yeah. Mr. T, I think this looks like a, a pretty good tree right here. Do you like it? I agree, yes, sir. It's a good tree. Now, I think instead of shaking the tree or climbing up into the tree, I think if you just yelled at the tree, the apples might fall down. You wanna try that? Hey, Apple,
5: you better fall down! don't
4: <laughs> let me have to come up
5: there, Apple! That's good.
4: Oh, That's
6: it's
0: good. gonna be bad if I come up there. I'm gonna cut you into pieces. I'm gonna peel you and I'm gonna skin you, then I'm gonna eat the carb.
4: I pity the <laughs> apple that don't fall down. I pity them too. It ain't working. Let's try something else. Uh, we should try just picking them conventionally. Hey, here's,
0: here's an apple oh, right oh, there. Look at these oh, right oh, here. Oh, a couple right here. Yeah, look at that. A green one. Go God ahead. didn't make little green apples. Here
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can always uh, rely on Conan just to bring something really
0: silly to the table. It was a lot of fun. I like that a lot. Jeff Forche? Yeah, I'm going
7: to have to go with Conan. Conan's my favorite. And I'm I'm like Braun, too. Conan's my number one. Letterman be number two. And I like I always love Letterman and his stupid human tricks. That was one of my favorite bits that he did. But... uh Conan with his uh was it his uh, associate producer Jordan schlansky they they just have this connection yeah. that it's just it's hilarious like Conan goes and cleans or cleans uh Jordan's office or catches Jordan coming in late or they go wine tasting it's just they, they have this this connection that just really, really hits with me.
0: Uh, that's interesting because in Howard Stern's book, he rates Conan O'Brien as, as his number one favorite guest of all time. Mm-hmm. Conan's podcast continually rated as one of the top podcasts. So a lot of Conan O'Brien fans and, of course, his tie to The Simpsons doesn't hurt also. We're going to turn to Cam Poitras now. and Not surprisingly, Cam has a <laughs> different take on this. I yeah, I mean you, you I, I tried to give you guys an out because I
4: absolutely hate late night talk oh. shows. The 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 lame elitist uh celebrities trying to connect to people and so I'm just like everybody else. I was in Italy and with the kids and we were having a great time and and the the, the, the boring political commentary would be pounded into our heads. The unfunny sketches. I, I could go on. I haven't been able to stomach it for over a decade. It's Atrocious! It gets worse and worse every single year. Uh, uh, I don't care what the celeb- what this celebrity is up to. I-, I couldn't care less. I don't understand why people care. And I- I'm just going to stop now because I'm going to go on to this crazy rant and I'm going to sound like a lunatic. But I hate, hate, hate late night. I hate all of them. I used to like Leno and, and Conan back in the day a little bit, but now it's just like I, I, j- I just hate it. I just it, it so- makes my blood boil.
1: For you it's like the section in I can't remember if that's People or Us magazine they used to have a section that's like stars they're just like this and then it would be pictures uh, yeah. of them pumping gas and no. eating cheese and it's it, like, it's, like worst, on, the- it's like the worst
4: it's like the worst part to Oscar night Every single night.
1: Some of the commentary is good. I like some of the stuff from Trevor Noah is good. Like uh, when you think about Stephen Colbert and there's just the way the perspective. I used to like
4: Stephen Colbert. I can't stand him now. I I, I cannot okay. stand him whatsoever. You prefer
0: to yeah. sarcastic alter 100%.
4: Ego. No, I used to love the Colbert Report. I watched it all the time. And now, like this version of him, I don't like. It was, oh, I could I could go on. I honestly could go on. I couldn't. I cannot stand. I, like, Ta- time who, who, does who not care? allow. Yeah, I know that. Jimmy Kimmel, I don't care what he has to say about anything. Okay, He's a rich celebrity talking down to everybody. I couldn't (laughs) care less.
1: Is there a hook or a button we can give him late night style now? Cam, you're done. I'm going to just leave it with this, Greg, and I don't know if this counts, so you guys let me know. I didn't watch a lot of late night TV beyond, you know, in my high school days, Saturday Night Live. Did that count? Yes. And I think for us, that was appointment viewing. And so I just want to leave it on a more positive note because if there's any excuse to play this, I think we should use it.
4: Guess what? I got a fever. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> the only prescription
1: is more cowbell. Like I discounts to me. Thank you, Cam, Bruce. you hated this. But I think if, I, I, think
4: it's I, don't I don't like Saturday leave, Night and, Live. Well,
1: maybe I'll come back later. And we can lay down. This is funny oh, Like there's maybe. old stuff's funny, but Gee, wait.
4: now it's terrible.
6: Why don't you lay down that cowbell right now?
4: You <sighs> mean <with sighs> it?
0: Us, together. <laughs> One, two,
1: three, four. All right, we can get out of this. I just I feel like there was there's a place for this still, and a place for people to exercise their bellies, exercise their cowbell, exercise right. their comedy and right. Cam
3: and Conan used to be a writer on Saturday Night Live
0: too. So that's right. And the That's a really good point. The birthday boy, we're going to extend the celebration one more day, Jeff Forche and Master Control. Thank you for a little bit of rush on this Friday morning. I know it's uh, been a long week, I think, for a lot of us emotionally, physically. And uh, the weekend is a welcome sight for those of you who work those odd hours and this is the beginning of your work week or, or something similar. We thank you for the odd hours, the strange hours that you work in order for us to be able to do the things that we do on the weekend. So uh, a tip of the hat to uh, frontline workers and, the, and those in the retail industry, in the restaurant industry. I know you're getting excited about what starts tomorrow. Lots of conversation to be had today with regards to vaccinations, Locks of conversation today, of course, on a very difficult topic, this discovery of the residential school in Saskatchewan. And we're going to speak to uh, a Manitoban who's already making plans for what he will do next now that his vaccination card has been received and is in the mail. But, Loren, before we do that, we do want to acknowledge the important and crucial discussions we're going to have today following that news out of Saskatchewan.
1: I think it's an understatement, Greg, to say that the discovery of hundreds of unmarked graves there has left many struggling with so many different emotions. Here's Cowessess First Nation Chief Cadmus DeLorm.
4: We are not asking for pity, but we are asking for understanding. We need time to heal, and this country must stand by us.
1: So will there be a larger investigation called? We're going to speak with a human rights lawyer in about an hour's time to ask that question. And as the chief points out, how will Canada stand by our First Nations communities? And how does this have you feeling about Canada in general? We'll have more on that talk later in the program. And of course, we're going to head back to Cowessess First Nation at 737,
0: Greg. I promised you if you were tuned in to the beginning of this program, some difficult and hard U-turns today as we try and build balance this difficult news uh, with having some fun on this Friday and we're going to do just that right now. We want to turn our attention back to COVID and the vaccines that are currently carrying us out of this third wave. If you've been double dosed, you have a lot more you're able to plan this summer, including what could be the first large-scale event post-pandemic a football game. Our next guest is a 30-year season ticket holder with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and a vaccine card holder. We welcome to the start, Kevin Dodge. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. So let's talk about that card. What was the process for you to get it into your uh, hot little hand?
5: Well, as soon as I heard uh, at the news conference that uh, there was going to be eligibility for this card, I went right online and I saw a hyperlink on the website on the COVID Manitoba website, and I, I hit it, and it took me to, I believe it was Manitoba Health uh, website, and it asked for my a username and uh, an email, and it sent me a six-digit code. And once I got the six-digit code, I punched it in to verify my account, and then from there it asked my name, um, my FIM number, Manitoba Health, and then my six-digit number. And then I pressed enter, and all of a sudden there's a QR code sitting there. I go, okay, well, there we go. So for, for myself, it went very smooth and very easy.
1: So the QR code came right to your phone, Kevin, and then you texted us a few days ago that the card has arrived as well. How long did that take, and what, what's on the card? What kind of information do you see? Uh,
5: it took about 10 days. I was actually excited when I got it. It was an unmarked uh, piece of mail from Manitoba Health. I go, oh, wow, this might be the card. And sure enough, there it is. And, um, really, oh, it's And got an official government of Manitoba um, you know, insignia on the top left corner. It just says Kevin Dodge on the front. Um, and then it says uh, uh, COVID-19 vaccination uh, card on top. And on the back, it's a QR code. And that's it. There's no personal. There's no birth dates. There's no addresses. Nothing like that. And when I tried to scan the QR code with the QR reader, it just took me back to the website, which meant there was no app ready just to give me that green check mark, is what it sounds like is going to happen, so.
0: So, Kevin, uh, let's talk about what we've seen. I don't know how much uh, sports you watch outside of the Jets and the Blue Bombers, but it's impossible not to have noticed what's going on in other parts of the world, in the U.S. in particular. I was talking to my buddy in uh, San Diego. He was at the game between the Dodgers and the Padres on Tuesday night. They had nearly 44,000 people at Petco uh, Field in San Diego for that huge game. And so when we see the Stanley Cup finals in the States and and packed arenas. Is what do you think about when you see that, and when you think about that first game, and perhaps we end up with a you know a few thousand, or maybe even uh, you know ten, twenty thousand, who knows what the number ends up being? August fifth, what goes through your mind?
5: Well, when I watched the the Vegas series, particularly at the start, I think it was last uh, last round, um, I looked in the stands and going, oh, wow, this is, this is weird. Uh, there's people everywhere. They're, they're shoulder to shoulder. There's no masks. And then there's a coach wearing a mask on the bench, which made no sense to me. But I, I was I was a little conflicted. I was so happy to see that, but I was also jealous as heck because I'm going, geez, I want to experience that. Uh, but I also knew that we weren't quite there yet in Manitoba. So I thought, okay, patience, Kevin, patience. But then I had something to really look forward to when the announcement was made uh, between the CBA and the Board of Governors that uh, uh, bomber football and CFL football is going to happen starting August 5th with the Great Cup rematch. I'm going, okay. This is fantastic. So it was kind of a culmination with getting that card and the announcement. I go, okay, there's some sort of normalcy coming back. Not just watching football, but as you said, uh, gatherings of large people and uh, some sense of normalcy with my family and, and friends and people in general, even the football players, to back to work, which is an exciting thing.
1: It's a sense of community too, right, Kevin? And I think even I was thinking about this last night about that first game and what it might look like. And so uh, it's my understanding because you're a season ticket holder. Wade said earlier this week, you know, that's where first dibs go for that game. And so I'm going to hit you up to sit next with you later instead of, and, and ask your wife Tracy to sit aside. No, I'm kidding. But Kevin, let, let's think you, you were teary. I know at that last Grey Cup win, uh, the, the long time coming 28 years in the making. I know you went right down to Port of Germain to celebrate with thousands of fans. You're very much someone. Who wants to be with your football community or your community period what when you think about seeing that again and feeling that again I mean is 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 it fair to say tears is something tears of joy might be on the horizon
5: uh, emotional there's no question um, my brothers uh, and I think uh, you've heard this before I, I was raised in Saskatoon as a bomber fan so when I came here and got season tickets in 1990 it was an amazing feeling and my brothers, right away, as soon as they saw footballs coming back in Saskatoon and Priestville, well, they're double vaccinated. And they are saying, okay, how can we get tickets for that August 5th game? So not just community and my family, but my like, my brothers and cousins and, and things like that. And, but you're right, the, the football brethren, the football community, I'm going to get my 71 Winnebago out that's painted blue and gold for this game. Uh, I haven't had that out in four or five years. Uh, to go to a game, I it a bit of a pain in the butt to get it going. No, this is an event like no other because it's it's a first time for this. Coming out of a pandemic and going to a bomber football game and subordinating a great cup win, that... Winnipeg is coming out, and we'll celebrate in the parking lot hours before the game starts.
0: Uh, you're giving me uh, tingles down my spine here, Kevin. Thanks for painting such a tremendous picture about what this means to you, about the process, and we'll be sure to keep in touch with you as we get closer to August 5th. Thanks for doing a, a fantastic job representing Blue Bomber season ticket holders on our program this morning. Thanks again.
5: Thank you very much, and you're all invited to the tailgate on August 5th.
0: I'll see you there, my man. Kevin Dodge, 30-year right. season ticket holder at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers telling us what it means to get back on the field. Loren?
1: Ah, I can't wait. Ugh, just the hope. You know, here we are, right? We have so many conflicting emotions today and every day, I think, for quite some time now. And I just think, Matt, there are going to be people who aren't even football fans who are, like, putting their hand up for those tickets because you just want to feel what Kevin just described. You want to feel your family feelings, your community feelings. You want to be together.
0: Question of the day brought to you by Credit Aid helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992 visit creditaid.ca or give them a call 204-987-6890 question of the day at cjob.com globalnews.ca if you've been working at home are you ready to head back to the office two options no i'm happy at home yes i miss you lorene I pose this question directly to you. That there, there's a right answer and a wrong answer.
1: Well, the answer is, I'm looking forward to getting back to the office, particularly when I think of the technical challenges. I, you know, this morning, for example, I've been working off a laptop. I hold my mic. I don't I don't have a stand. I'm tucked in the corner of the basement, which I've come to hate over the past year, just because it feels like all the whole house is an office and I never leave work, if that makes sense. So I'm looking forward to just getting back and seeing you guys and seeing your faces and having those water cooler conversations and walking through the exchange and maybe grabbing lunch and all the rest. But I will say it's conflicted because... Being at home allows me, for example, to see my kids in the morning, which I just did, to wake up and give them a hug and kiss, which I never get to do in the morning. You never get to do in the morning. Get their lunches. All the things that kind of help make me feel a bit better in the day are removed if I head back to work. So it's it's like a, there is no right answer in my mind because the things that I love about being at home are the things that you know can also drive you nuts. For example, the dog right now is like, carried a rock or something into the house. And oh, I he can hear it. He loves
0: rocks. Gee, he yeah. is that moose. Uh, well, thanks for that uh, answer. I was hoping just for the yes, I miss <laughs> you, but uh, that's fine. Well, I no do. problem. I do. <laughs> I, uh, I get to get my kids out of bed, hug them and kiss them as well when I get home at noon because they're still sleeping right now because the school year is over for them. 7.38, it is the start. I'm Mackling. She's McNabb. McGarry returns on Monday. And we do start this half hour with the revelation of 751 unmarked graves at a Saskatchewan residential school. It has many right across Canada demanding justice.
1: Yeah, so after 8, we are going to speak with a human rights lawyer here in Winnipeg on what justice might look like, what might come next when it comes to investigations or legal action. But right now, we want to just speak about how people are feeling, and we want to take you to Saskatchewan, where our Joe Scarpelli is standing by. Good morning, Joe. Morning, guys. Hard story, Joe. Uh, It's hard to talk about. It's hard to grapple with this, just as Canadians, let alone the fact that you're on the ground there. So just maybe tell us where you are and, and what you've been hearing from the community there.
7: Yeah, so I'm uh, in Regina, I, I, so let's, uh, I'm about uh, two hours uh, roughly um, east of where, or sorry, I'm west of where the, the, the site is, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's, a, there's a mix of emotion, there's uh, sadness, there's anger, there's disbelief, you know, just, it, it's it's on people's minds, and there's a lot of just head shakes, just the people, you know, can't believe that, that well, they were can, but they just can't at the same time believe, uh, what they're hearing. Um, just even on my way into Regina from, uh, from Winnipeg last night, I was, um, just driving along the, um, the Trans Canada. I was between Winnipeg and Brandon and I saw a group of people, uh, wearing orange shirts, uh, walking down the Trans Canada highway. So I turned around and went to speak to them and, um, they said they were marching from saskatchewan to ottawa they're heading there right now and they started that uh that that walk after the discovery in kamloops so the the, that walk was planned as a result of kamloops and they're in the middle of this walk and then they just get this uh more horrifying news and you know I, uh, I was talking to them about how they were feeling and they were just uh, heartbroken and, but at the same time they were expecting it, but that doesn't make it any easier to hear. And this group, like so many other people are unfortunately, uh, bracing for, for more announcements of more discoveries and, uh, it, whether it's in Saskatchewan or other parts of the country.
0: You know, you mentioned that just because so many have been expecting more announcements like this one. It does not make it any easier. In fact, it, it shines a brighter light on on the horrors that were committed in the residential school system. And so this is just really for so many people, Joe, uh, the validation of belief stories, uh, legend, uh, all sorts of conversation uh, that that has been taking place in in first nations communities across the country for years and years this this is uh, really just validation that that what they had heard was taking place actually did take place for so many exactly and they
7: are are finally being heard they want to be heard especially people who were directly uh involved or you know new people who went to, to certain residential schools they 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 really want to be heard and they they need to heal healing is going to be a major part of this but uh it, it's going to actually start with one of the most important parts of this is to identify um uh, these bodies and give them names um they want they want to put names to them um, Uh, And so there's work ongoing right now to, uh, well, one, to figure out exactly how many uh, unmarked graves there are and then uh, to identify them. And right now there are growing calls on uh, the federal government and even the Catholic Church to hand over any documents or records that they have to help with this identification process and uh, maybe even causes of death.
1: So I know the chief there at Cowessess First Nation, which is now where that school once stood Joe he talked yesterday about the fact that you know there might have been markers on these graves at one point they they're not sure and that the Catholic Church that was in charge of the cemetery it's possible he just he's questioning were the markers removed at some point they're thinking about the 60s about how that might have been the time period for that they don't know If all these graves belong to children, so that's one of the questions there. There could be both children and adults there. And so just for today and for the days ahead, what's next for them? Does that work continue with that ground-penetrating radar? and, And what sort of experts get brought in in this circumstance?
7: Yeah, well, uh, the the work is uh, definitely uh, continuing. So phase one, we heard the the results of phase one. So there's a still a lot of work uh, to go on, and the reason we keep saying estimated 751 is because that technology has a 10 to 15 percent margin of error. So uh, they're, they're going to be uh, doing some more work, and they hope to maybe give some uh, exact numbers in uh, in the coming weeks. So there's going to be that, and you know, uh, a, a big push to uh identify and recognize uh the the whether it's children adults um, is likely a mix of both we heard but we're, we we can we that hasn't been confirmed at this point but to to get their names up uh somewhere uh, maybe may possibly even uh, a, a monument so uh there's a lot of work uh,
0: uh in the days and weeks ahead Joe Scarpelli, uh, Loren mentioned it off the top. A difficult story to cover without question. You've covered many difficult stories. I don't know if uh, you'll have one more difficult than this one in your career. So thanks for your professionalism and for joining us this morning. Keep well, my friend. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, Joe Scarpelli, a global news reporter here in Winnipeg. He's in Saskatchewan, part of Global News, national coverage of this very important national story. (laughs) Greg Mackling, Lorraine McNabb with you. It's Friday. We like to have fun on Friday, but I'd like to just let you know in the next uh, 45 minutes or so, are going to be a, a little bit heavier than maybe we'd like them to be, but it's a story that we need to discuss. We're looking for answers, of course, as we look west and what we heard yesterday. And to start this hour, calls are growing louder for justice following... The discovery of up to 751 unmarked graves at a former Saskatchewan residential school, Lorraine.
1: Yeah, calls from justice from many across the country and, and many First Nations communities as well. But with that call, there's the question, what does justice look like? How can it be achieved? Corey Sheffin is a human rights lawyer here in Winnipeg, and much of his work is advocating for Indigenous peoples. He's our guest this morning. Good morning, Corey.
6: Good morning. Thanks for having
1: me. Well, thanks for taking the time. As we've been saying, it's it's such a difficult, unbelievable subject to discuss. And and as we move forward, we know we're going to hear more stories like this in the days ahead as more searches are conducted on the grounds of former residential schools, Corey. And and I'm curious, from your perspective, from a legal perspective, what could or should happen next when it comes to further investigating these discoveries and, and what happened here?
6: It's a really great question because we've spent the last few years learning a lot about residential schools. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when most Canadians, most non-Indigenous Canadians, hadn't even heard of residential schools, and now you know we hear about them quite often. Um, and you know we've heard over the last few weeks um lots of politicians talking about how how badly they feel and how their hearts go out to First Nations who are who are finding out about these discoveries or are rediscovering them um, and I think what's really important is that the time for talking, the time for uh, you know expressing your sorrow is really over, especially for the government. Um, it needs to now be about taking action. Um, uh, Murray Sinclair, the head of the Re- Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a former senator, talked about how truth has to come before reconciliation. And part of truth is knowing what actually happened. And so... You know, the, the, la- the two discoveries that we've heard about the last few weeks um, were led by the local First Nations. But the governments need to step up as part perpetrators of these uh, potential crimes and uh, help to ensure that uh, that the grounds of all of the residential schools in Canada, mm-hmm. former residential schools, are surveyed and investigated to find out what actually happened there and, and what is still there. Um, you know, these schools, you know, some of them closed many decades ago, but some of them not. Uh, the school that we heard about yesterday only closed in 1997. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's extremely likely that there are people alive today who, if not, if if they weren't perpetrators, they certainly may have been witnesses or bystanders to, uh, to, to crimes, actual crimes which occurred um, and should be prosecuted.
0: Corey, you mentioned the word crime, and we heard from the get-go yesterday that this area where where these unmarked graves have been found is being treated like a crime scene. So if you could put your lawyer cap on a little tighter for us, just with regard to the insinuation or suggestion that headstones may have been in place at some and which means they may have been removed also at some point. Uh, What kind of crime is that in Canada?
6: Uh, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head for for this particular situation. The the chief of the First Nation mentioned in his press conference that um, before the Catholic Church left the school and handed it over to to other stewards, they removed the headstones on on the graves, which is why those graves are now unmarked. That's desecrating a cemetery, and that's a crime in Canada. You go into a cemetery, you remove the gravestones. You're going to get arrested and you're going to get charged, rightly so. Um, And so that's sort of the most immediate uh, piece. But the the question is also, why is there a cemetery at a school in the first place? My school certainly didn't have a cemetery. Um, And so you also have to go back a step further and ask, how did those children die? Was it neglect? Did the schools fail to provide the necessar- the necessaries of life? Uh, did they uh, were were the children um, uh, actively killed? Uh, you know, I think there needs to be further investigation to determine how it happened that you know a- some between six and seven hundred or, or 600 fi- and 750 uh, children um, ended up buried on the grounds of this school.
1: There's so many questions here just about the investigation there as you outlined, Corey, in terms of how um, these people died. And then there's just the questions about the unmarked grave that, that Greg posed and, of course, calls on the Vatican and the Pope to apologize. There's records that need to be released or sh- should be released by the Catholic Church. Is there a legal grounds for our the government to go, after, for lack of a better word, go after the Church to demand the release of that that information in terms of through the courts so that we at least have some records here.
6: I think that's a really important point. There are lots of avenues for the government to do that. Um, They can pass a law that requires anyone who ran a residential school to disclose all records. They could go to court and as part of the residential school settlement and demand production of records. Um, They could use their diplomatic weight to ask the Vatican to do that. But there are strong legal mechanisms at the government's disposal. And the fact that they're not doing it is a choice. And I think that's really important, is that despite how uh, how shocking these revelations are to many Canadians, despite how, how absolutely horrific they are, governments, and I'm talking about provincial governments and the federal government, are choosing to not do everything in their power to get justice and that's absolutely unacceptable and I think every single Canadian needs to call their MP needs to demand that the governments do everything in its power to make sure that first of all we find out exactly what happened and when it happened and how it happened and that justice is secured for the children for the families and for the communities uh, that were torn apart and affected by this.
0: Corey, we appreciate your point of view and your expertise. You're always welcome on this program. We appreciate you very much. Thanks for having me. Corey Sheffman is a human rights lawyer here in Winnipeg. A couple things to get to before we bring on our next guest. It's Mackling and McNabb with you. McGarry returns on Monday. In fact, you can catch him on the Couch Potatoes tomorrow at noon or Sunday at 6 here On CJOB. I just want to remind you, 204-780-6868 to get in on the Manitoba Turkey Producers Prize Pack. We want to know your favorite late night talk show host or skit or memory. And uh, one of our listeners saying here, would I even be a Winnipegger if I didn't say Bundy's late night review? Back from when I thought going to bed early was the worst thing ever as opposed to now when I think it's the best Thing ever. Keep your text messages coming as we try and keep things light a little bit throughout the morning and a morning of very heavy conversation and also our question of the day we want to inv- invite you to vote for that at cjob.com globalnews.ca question of the day is brought to you by credit aid helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992 visit CreditAid.ca or give them a call 204-987-6890 or question today if you've been working at home are you ready to head back to the office your options are no I'm happy at home or yes I miss you and would you believe that close to 60% of you are happy at home we start this half hour With Canadians continuing to process the news out of Saskatchewan from yesterday that an estimated 751 unmarked graves were found at the site of the former Maryville Residential School. Many of us are trying to comprehend the magnitude of this discovery. At the same time, many Indigenous Canadians are reliving the horror of their own experiences and those of their family members, Loren.
1: Our next guest is Wab Canoe and, and he's the leader of the NDP and leader of the official opposition in Manitoba. Good morning, Wab.
3: Thanks for having me back.
1: Well, thanks for taking the time. And I, I don't know if it's just too simple of a question, but I know this is also personal to you and your family in, in terms of your own history. So can I just ask how you're feeling this morning, uh, hours after learning all this from Saskatchewan?
3: Well, it's tough, and uh, I appreciate you. Uh, asking that because uh, I do want to acknowledge the impact that this has on people from Cowessess First Nation, where this uh, former residential school is located. And that affects people right here in Winnipeg and in our province of Manitoba. You know, as a quick example, when I used to coach uh, Tim Bitts hockey a few years back, uh, a couple of the, the boys who'd be young men now were from Cowessess First Nation. So this has a, a long shadow that it casts uh, against uh, many of our fellow Winnipegers, fellow Manitobans. And even speaking to many non-Indigenous people, um, they're reeling, really, they're, they're, they're feeling solemn uh, thoughts, they're, they're, they're asking questions. And so, you know, what I've really started to realize over these past uh, few weeks, months, years, is that, you know, some of us, such as myself and my family, we're the direct descendants of the residential school survivors. But I think all of us as Canadians now realize that we all inherit that legacy.
0: Well before you got into political life it was always an honor to have you on whatever program i was hosting to to tackle some some difficult questions with regards mm-hmm. to the relationship between indigenous and non-indigenous canadians we would have some fun with that but also get into some very serious topics and i can remember asking you at least once about this notion of get over it and are we seeing right. are we seeing now maybe the the exact reasons why you know, that terminology, that way of thinking from non-Indigenous Canadians, just, you know what, it's just not going to fly. Sorry.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I think as tough as a lot of these recent disclosures have been, you know, Kamloops, Cowessus, uh Brandon with the Sioux Valley Dakota Nation here in Manitoba, also uh, disclosing those 104 uh, graves in Brandon on the North Hill, As tough as these uh, disclosures have been, you know, I think I've also noticed that there are many Canadians, non-Indigenous Canadians, as you say, who are speaking up in a way that maybe they didn't, not even a generation ago, but maybe even five, ten years ago. And when you see some of that denial, some of that denialism, you do see, of course, many Indigenous uh, people calling that out, but you see many uh, non-Indigenous Canadians calling that out. And so I think where we're at as a province, as a nation, is we're coming to this place where we have a more accurate reflection of the truth. You know, by no means is that done. We still have to stay on guard and make sure that we we call things out when when we hear some sort of a comment that's just not right. For sure, we're going to have to continue that work. But at the same time, I think we're starting to get a clearer picture of that truth. And then my hope is that that sets the stage for, for some reconciliation.
1: Well let's talk about that calling out of when you hear someone say something that's just completely incorrect or or even racist or and how you deal with that while because one of the things even in the last few weeks you talked about the 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 grave in Brandon is that mm-hmm. I, I, I first of all didn't know that that was there although I know that there were people who knew that there was those unmarked graves there for for years, well, it was at the site of the old Curran Park, which is a campground, which I knew well growing up in that part of Manitoba. And you keep thinking to yourself, I had no idea. And you keep saying these things like I had no idea. But but now we know. We know what's what's out there, what's what's still to be learned. So what do we do to, to help with that conversation when it comes to correcting someone? Because we need to get the facts better, so many of us ourselves.
3: Well, you know, I think, first of all, I'd acknowledge that that's not always easy. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes those are difficult conversations or challenging conversations and sometimes they're with people you care about. But I think, you know, part of what we need to do as Canadians and, you know, we have this vision of our country uh, as a a great place, a place that welcomes everybody. Is Sometimes, you know, we have to step up into some of those uh, uncomfortable moments uh, because we know that that's the right thing to do uh, with our values uh, of the true north, strong and free. But I think there's other things we can do in public. You know, I think continuing to support the searches for these sites so that we can have that clear picture are important. And then importantly, you know, let's let's remember these are unmarked graves. Uh, they need to be commemorated. They need to be marked in some kind of way. And hopefully if we do that acknowledgement and we have, you know, grave markers or memorial sites or plaques or other, you know, ways to honour these sites and these children, then that's going to allow that education to happen so that many of those conversations will be easier for the children and for the future generations because they'll, they'll be aware and they won't be saying, I had no idea, but instead they'll be saying, yes, I know, and uh, here's the work that we're doing to try and uh, address these situations.
0: Uh, we're running out of time here Wa but uh, in your role as opposition leader, I wanted to give you the opportunity to answer a question that was posed to Premier ba- Brian Pallister yesterday on the calls by some to cancel Canada's Canada day excuse me celebrations this year. This was the premier's response.
4: My thought is that uh, we learn from our past and we admit it and confront it and then we move forward and we ha- we have to dedicate ourselves to reconciliation part of reconciliation I, I don't think should be denying the history of our country. We should confront it. No country is perfect. Absolutely not one on the face of the earth. But Canada is a lot closer than many. And so I don't think denying Canada Day celebrations is, an, is a, a respectful way for us to move forward. I think we should celebrate our country, but we should celebrate it with its warts too.
0: Not an intention to make it political, Wob, just an opportunity for you to answer that same question.
4: Yeah, no, and uh,
3: this is not a partisan issue by any means. You know, the way that I look at it is this. Our country is in mourning right now. Everyone with a beating heart who heard the news yesterday was affected by it. And so I think our country is in mourning. And I think that's how a lot of Canadians are feeling. And so what I'm going to do and what my family is going to do is we're going to wear orange shirts. And that's the symbol that the residential school survivors took on themselves to represent what was lost. Because there was a young girl out in B.C., who was sent uh, by her family wearing an orange shirt when she was taken away, and that was removed from her when she arrived at the residential school. So now it represents all that was lost, the language, the culture, the childhoods, and now we know also lives. And so our family will be wearing an orange shirt to reflect how we're feeling, how we're in mourning, and I would encourage all Canadians to, to wear an orange shirt on July 1st to reflect where we're at uh, right now in this country.
1: I think that's a great suggestion, Wob, and I want to thank you for your time. You know, often, as Greg said, we are talking politics, but this isn't political. This is just a this is something we need to all work on together and not take sides on this one anymore.
2: Well, I appreciate that. And thank you for the time.
6: And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at gmacwpg, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.
1: For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us